Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Nike, Walmart, and Zappos. And even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use and you can get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers. And Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and you're listening to Crime Writers on Serial. This is a special podcast homage podcast about the blockbuster spinoff of This American Life. Reporter Sarah Koenig's look at the conviction of Adnan Syed for the 1999 murder of Hay Min Lee. I've assembled some crime writers in a roundtable to talk about everyone's favorite obsession, Serial, the podcast produced by This American Life. Returning this week is my partner in crime, life, and co-author Kevin Flynn, who was a longtime TV reporter before writing Wicked Intentions, and then a few books with me, including Our Little Secret. Thanks for coming back, Kevin. Well, you're my ride home, Rebecca, so. Also with me is Laura Bricker, also a former reporter, licensed PI, defense investigator, and the author of the true crime book, Lie After Lie. Hi, Laura. Hi there. Finally, we have Toby Ball as the sole crime fiction writer author among us. We rely on Toby to let us know when the real life in serial is even worse than bad fiction. Toby's latest book is Invisible Streets. Thanks so much for coming back, Toby. Thank you. So before we get into what happened this episode, we need to talk about one quick thing. This is only our second time getting together to talk about Serial, but as it turns out, it's also our second to last time. I kind of feel like I'm in the denial phase of grief here about this ending. Quick, where are you guys on this? Kevin? I I, I think we should actually go back and pretend uh, and, and start this podcast from episode one, and we'll just like reverse engineer. People think we have uh, 12 episodes. What about you, Laura? <clears throat> Uh, well, I really feel like we could use a few more episodes to tie up all the loose ends that are still out there. All right. We'll definitely get to that. What about you, Toby? Uh, my motivation for doing errands and getting in the car is going to be a lot decreased. But <laughs> That's your ritual for listening to Serial? Exactly. Well, I know we have a wide range of opinions of this particular episode, episode 11, Rumors, in this room. I got a little preview of the difference between me and Kevin last night when we were bickering a little bit about it. But in just a couple of words, because we're going to have plenty of time to talk about the episode, Rate it for me. Let's go around the room. Laura, you first, one to ten, and then a quick backup sentence to sort of justify your score. Uh, I'll go with five and a half. Okay. Um, I, I was a little bit underwhelmed this week. I felt like there was some other things that I would like to see focused on that didn't even come up this week. Okay. What about you, Toby? Uh, the first time I listened to it, it was about a three, and then the second time, it was more like a seven. And, uh, you know, I, I thought it was an interesting departure from the way a lot of the, the series has gone so far. Mm-hmm. What about you? Uh, I'm going to go with a five. I thought um, it was the weakest of an, of an excellent series. However, it's just I think it was ground that we've gone over before, which could have been incorporated elsewhere. 
and the time could have been used to forward the story. Okay, I will be honest and say, first listening for me, seven. Second listening, nine for me. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's talk about the form of this episode first. This isn't the first time we've heard Sarah do this, but the episode played out, I think, in three acts. Um, first, there was the direct addressing of the, quote, rumors themselves, notably the theft from the mosque. In that first chapter, we heard about the three people who knew Adnan. Then in chapter two, it was sort of about Charles Ewing's expertise on psychopathy, murder motivations, premeditation. And then chapter three was sort of Adnan's voice himself and sort of digging in there. So do you guys think structurally if each of these episodes is like the chapter of a big book, does it work? Toby, I'd love to hear from you breaking down a chapter this way and just linear like boom, 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 one, two, three. Is that something that you would ever do in a book? Uh, well, I think the way the whole the whole series has been set up is with these theme chapters, and, and not necessarily you know chronologically, which I think is you know usually when you're writing fiction, it's either chronological or you're playing with the chronology, but you're not really doing it by theme. So you know this episode seemed to really focus around you know Adnan's personality, and you know did he have the kind of personality that could do something like that? So it, it was different than the way I would. I would write. What about you, Laura? It, it didn't work as much for me. I enjoyed more going along with Sarah, sort of, as she was out, perhaps, interviewing people. The part about the rumors, to me, coming from a defense background, I think that was one of my hardest transitions when I went from being a reporter to a defense investigator, is a lot of that information is never going to be admissible in court. Mm-hmm. It's not going to help the case. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that was frustrating because I felt like there were things that she could have focused on. And the format... I didn't find myself as engaged as I would have been if I was riding along with her as she had been um, in previous episodes. Right, right. And how about you, Kevin? As Toby said, you know, sometimes, sometimes you tell the story chronologically a lot in true crime. You play with the chronology because you want to hold back some of the, you know, the more of the wow. And I, I think that a lot of sort of the stuff about, you know, Adnan, he's a good guy, he might be a bad guy, he's flawed, I and mean, we've been over this already. And and I think sort of in the beginning, I'm not going to remember the quote exactly from Sarah, but as she's setting it up, she said, you know, I've heard a lot of stuff, but she seemed to, like there was one thing that she heard that made her think that he could do it. Mm-hmm. Some some statement like that. And she never that never really paid off. I don't know what that was. Well, she didn't tell us what it was because that was a rumor that was unsubstantiated. And I think it would have been irresponsible for her to then say what the rumor was. Mm-hmm. Do you agree? Well, you know, I think Ibsen said, like, when you're writing fiction, writing a play, that if you bring a gun out in the first act, it has to go off by the time the play's over. Why? Th- then that's, I think, a, a, a writer's flaw. Don't throw out, you know, make a promise that you can't keep. Right. I, I wonder how much of that, and maybe you agree with this, is about response to kind of, if she didn't put that in, maybe she would be accused of, of leaving it on the table when someone had told her to, to, to look at it. My, my read on that was that she was trying to uh, sort of paint a picture of what the community thought about Adnan. And I thought the whole point of that was, you know, there's some people who are willing to at least say they think that he did something horrible, which but which he can't substantiate, so she doesn't want to bring it out there. But it's... You know, the the feelings were mixed enough that there was somebody who could put forth a rumor that he did something really, you know, dastardly. 
I did think it was interesting. There were three people that we heard from in this sort of part one of this episode. We heard from Ali, who was the almost anonymous guy with the disguised voice at the higher pitch. We heard from the totally anonymous guy, the one who sort of told the inflated story of Adnan's theft with a lower pitch disguised voice. And then we heard from Atif Iqbal, the, the guy who wasn't allowed to go right outside his front door and get the mail from the mailbox. It was a really, really rich detail there. Laura, the understanding of the of the community, the effect that Adnan's case had on them, was that important for us to, to know, to hear about at this point? I think it was, but I think we've already heard about it. I felt like, when you know, to me, it made more of an impact hearing how his community had rallied to get him a good defense attorney or what they perceived as a good defense attorney at the time, how they were packed in the courtroom supporting him. This um, didn't draw me in quite as much. Uh, what I took from it was, you know, anytime somebody murders someone, everybody says, oh, well, I could have seen this coming. And I kind of took it like that. People trying to reconcile how this could have happened mm -hmm. in their mind. Well, let, let's talk about the theft. I mean, I think it's important to address that. You know, he was a kid. He skimmed from the, the cash basket in the mosque. Uh, there are obviously two different versions of that presented, Adnan and his friends, and then the deep-voiced anonymous guy who claimed it was hundreds of thousands of dollars or, you know, some some enormous number. Um, can I take a quick poll? Any of you in your youth ever work a job, you know, skim, you know, steal a little bit, shoplift a little bit ever? Anybody here? It's a podcast. Show of hands. <laughs> oh, look at that. Well, I, I'll, I'll, I'll go first. I have. I mean, Sarah confessed her having maybe pilfered some clothes from friends. I mean, I, you know, I worked a retail job when I was, you know, really young in high school. And those, we were 14, 15 occasionally, you know, you know, we, you know. that's the whole problem, I think, with that rumor is that it's not a violent crime. It's so, it's so pedestrian that it really doesn't speak towards, oh, well, see, you could tell he would kill somebody. I mean, there was more sort of, I mean, if you want to mind for anything really interesting, it would have been, I think, from later on when we talk about um, you know, the psychologist talking about, well, you, you know, you don't have to, anybody could commit a crime like this. Uh, they could just snap, uh, you know, talking more about that. But the idea that when he was in eighth grade that he stole $100,000 uh, and apparently put it, what, in his jeans pocket, it's not really part of our story. And I think in some ways I think Sarah here is responding to th what people are saying and as opposed to telling the story I feel like she's trying to get you know people are saying X Y and Z and she's responding to them right as opposed to the the audience as a whole we don't know what people are everybody isn't following what's going on on reddit or in, in her email inbox and she's done a year and a half of research on this and so we can't fault Sarah too much I'm gonna fault all of her producers and editors for not pulling her back on this and saying Okay, let's get to something more substantial because what I would have liked to have seen, heard, are rumors about other people. Right. Give me a reason to. We already went over like why Adnan is a great guy and that maybe you should or shouldn't take in, into consideration his personality. I want to hear rumors about other people's motives for wanting to kill Hay. Well, let's talk for one second about that. What something Sarah alluded to, and the the people talking and saying like, "Don't tell so and so that I told you this." You know, that sort of people coming forward and being very reticent about coming forward. And then she said something really funny that I really related to, which is, you know, I get that. I live in a small town. Um, one of the books that Kevin and I wrote was about a crime, and and the killer lived in the town where we live, and we sort of lived that experience of people saying, "Hey, yeah, I'll talk to you, but don't tell anyone I I told you this." Has this ever happened to you, Toby? You write fiction. You're 
you're sort of absolved from from this experience of people not wanting to come forward, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, that's one of the uh, one of the joys of fiction is that you don't have to rely on other people to uh, to help you out. What about you, Laura? Have you had that experience of the reticence to talk and, and being so difficult? I've had it both as a writer and as an investigator. And as an investigator, sort of my uh, saying that used to go along with that was snitches get stitches. So people, no matter what information they had, if it could have been something completely not even a big deal to the case, but they felt like I'm going to get a reputation as being a snitch and I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to get involved. I don't want to go to court. And you know, in certain cases, it could be something that could really be helpful. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, the person had this reticence of getting involved in the system. I think that people don't want to be a part of, I don't want to say the drama like to, to light, but the, the idea of having to talk to the police, like most people never have to talk to the police in their whole lives. And it is sort of a big leap to, to, to contribute to a, a podcast that you know is getting millions of, of downloads and then knowing that you're going to see the people who are listening to it the next day. I mean, I could sort of understand it. You know, okay, you bring up our book, Our Little Secret. What I remember from Our Little Secret is that, you know, I think people sometimes have an inflated sense of how important their information is to the, the case. Um, that we had a, you know, there was one guy who, like, he wanted to meet in secret with the police and that he never went hunting again because he thought someone would try to shoot him in the woods. And it was like, dude, you're really not that important to this big case. And it seemed like all these other people were like, well, I don't want to, you know, it's the reverse. In our book, people were keeping the secret to protect someone. It seems like in this case, the secret is just to sort of perpetuate that Adnan is this horrible person who was willing to do anything, including stealing $7 million from the mosque. Well, that was that one guy, the, the nameless guy, who then, at, strangely, at the very end, was like, yeah, yeah, he's a, he's a great guy. It was weird, right? Yeah, I was going to go back to people, you know, being reticent to talk. And, and again, people that don't think what they have to say is going to make a difference. Um, the, the story that I wrote about the murder case, it took the police a long time to get enough evidence to charge this man. And one of the things that finally tipped it their way was... This guy who said, you know, what I have to say probably isn't going to make a big difference. And it was a year afterwards, and he came forward, and that was that piece of information that they needed. Hmm. Um, The murderer saying, you know, my wife has been drinking a lot of Gatorade, and he was actually poisoning her with antifreeze in her Gatorade. But it was this, yeah, don't (laughs) drink green substances. Um, So, but it was just that one little piece of information. And this person said, you know, who am I? I'm just this nurse out in the Midwest, and nobody cares what I have to say. Okay, so if we're comfortable moving on to sort of part two of this episode, I sort of think of part two as the, you know, premeditation, you know, a sort of section of the episode. And first we heard from a couple of really interesting voices that I kind of wanted to come back. We heard from uh, the classmate whose last name was hilariously Billingsley. And then we heard from the awesome Angela Lansbury-esque English teacher, Mrs. Efron. And and the sort of consensus among people who knew Adnan wasn't necessarily that he didn't do it, but that he couldn't have planned to do it. What was your reaction to that? I guess I wasn't that surprised. I I think it's easier to imagine somebody you know sort of in the heat of the moment kind of, and they talk about this later in the the program, but snapping, uh, whereas it's really hard to think about somebody you know or been around like going to bed and thinking about how they're going to do it, how are they going to lure the person to this place, what are they going to do with the body and all that kind of thing. So I I think people who knew Adnan trying to sort of come to terms with the fact that he might have done it and thinking about what that means, I I think that would be 
it's not too surprising that that's where they fall. Yeah, it had to have been hard, too, for his English teacher to think, I was teaching him to write an essay while he was planning a murder. I mean, that's a difficult thing to, to reconcile, probably, right? If there are people around you and then something horrible happens. Well, yeah, and I think especially because, you know, it seems like recently, like I guess the uh, that mass killer at Virginia Tech, like in his English class, he was writing disturbing things. And, and I think that's been the case in some other ones. So I think particularly she, you know, she's reading these essays that are just, you know, Act Three of Hamlet, this happened, that doesn't sort of give a... Uh, a mirror onto his his right. feelings about these things. Right. Okay. So let's let's move on then to sort of the expert witness in this episode with Charles Ewing. Um, he sort of ran through a couple of theories about how sort of murders simmer up and happen. Laura, you worked with you know you worked as an investigator with defendants. This part of the episode may have just sort of moved along a little more slowly. I think because I think we all agree Charles Ewing was not as compelling an expert as Deirdre was a few weeks ago. He was a little bit you know, hard to listen to for a long period of time. But how did you react to that that portion of the episode? Uh, well, I've spent a lot of time, this is going to sound odd, in jails, visiting with <gasps> people that are accused of pretty awful crimes. Sure, and that's why. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I like it there, you know. They have fish on Fridays. But um, I, what I liked about this this part was the notion that killers could be ordinary people. And I think that's something that we lose when we are looking at the story or the mystery of a murder. A lot of people that commit violent crimes are pretty ordinary people and not what you would expect when you sit down and talk with them after the fact. But again, it goes to also, you know, trying to prove insanity, which he was talking about, is extremely difficult. Okay, so, Kevin, pretend for a second like you didn't hate the way this information was presented at this time (laughs) in the series. All right, yeah, that's fine. What did you think of the idea that Sarah apparently has been weighing the the possibility that Adnan did this and just didn't remember that he did it? That is sort of the only new thing that sort of came out is, okay, could he have done it? Could he He's so nice— the one explanation would be he could have done it, and then he truly doesn't remember that he did it. You know, it's it's novel. I mean, it, it's hard to see whether or not there's real proof of that. But it would again, it, it sort of gives the listener some more doubt because I think people, whether they want to believe it or not, are some in some ways rooting for it not to be Adnan. If you th- if you n- think from the start that it's definitely not. Adnan, then there's no reason to listen to the rest of the the episodes. Um, so I think, you know, sort of the, the balancing going back and forth between, yes, we're going to be victorious and no, we're going to lose uh, this moral battle here. You know, that's something to think about. Maybe he did it and this doesn't and just honestly doesn't remember it. One detail really struck me. And Toby, I was wondering, actually, when I heard this, if, if you noticed the same thing, because you pointed out a couple of investigative sort of things the police did the last time we talked. Uh, There's tape in the episode sort of out of nowhere. Adnan's friend named Laura, who I don't think we've heard from before, said the cops told her that sometimes people commit murders and they don't remember it. And they sometimes have people standing over a body with a knife in their hands. Did that strike you that as weird that the cops would say that to Adnan's friend? Like in what context like they would they would say that? Uh yeah, I, it, it was a yeah. It, it, it seems like a strange thing to say, and I think it's it's trying to get people past the oh no, he couldn't have done that sort of block when the, when they're when they're talking to the police. You know, the the one thing that kind of struck me that doesn't really help Adnan, I guess, is that uh, is when that expert 
whose name I'm blanking on at the moment. Ewing, Charles yeah, Ewing. Yeah, he said that it that usually when people have amnesia about that kind of thing, it, it's temporary. That it that it's hard to maintain that sort of self denial. So that you would think that after 15 years, especially thinking about it all the time, and now having it dredged up again, and you know, I'm I'm sure Sarah's going over details with him. The, the you know it, it doesn't seem plausible to me mm-hmm. uh, I mean just based on what he was saying that that Adnan would still just have no clue that he did it if in fact he did right and then there was a lot of discussion uh, Laura about um, psychopathy and sort of like the rareness of it but that the word psychopath and the word compulsive liar as Sarah said that she could count on her hand five people in this story who other people had said at some point that person's a psychopath or a, a like those words and in the work that you used to do did they just get kind of get tossed around without sort of a real understanding of, of what they mean I don't think they got tossed around as much as they did in this story I can say I met one person uh, that I truly believed was a psychopath and they were probably one of the more charming people that I went to go visit in jail. Really? Um, I was very nervous about going because I knew that the charges were quite serious. And um, and I said, wow, that was a little bit eerie. This person was so calm and polite and conciliatory. Uh, but I don't think they get thrown around as much um, by people that are doing that work all the time because you don't see it as often. I think you see maybe fake versions of it. And you might be the right person to ask because um, Sarah's big question here was if Adnan said what Jay said he said after he killed Hay, was this whole act in prison for 15 years, was this the image crafting work of a psychopath? I mean, from you obviously have never met Adnan. You're yeah. obviously, I'm not going to pretend that you know, but it, it did is what we've heard from Adnan, does it compare with the person that you've met that you actually thought may have been a psychopath? No, yeah. uh, not at all. And I think you you really have to, I mean, that's the thing that I've had a hard time with this. And we were talking last week about being able to tell when people are lying. I think you really need to talk to somebody in person to get a sense of where they really stand on something. I think that really gives you a good read. I think that what that actually tells is that, I mean, these are all civilians who are throwing these terms around. And it goes, it speaks to our own misunderstanding of the complex psychological issues involved here. So people will throw that word out. He's a psychopath. He's a sociopath. He's a narcissist and really not know what the clinical meaning is, but it goes to our desire that we have to have an answer for this question. Why would he do that? Because he's a bad guy? I mean, that's not good enough. Because he's a psychopath. I mean, that's where that's where all of our fairy tales come from, werewolves and vampires and, you know, monsters. This is, this is we have to have an explanation for why this horrible thing happened. And we don't believe in vamp. Well, maybe some people believe in vampires, but we don't believe. No, in I those- believe in zombies, you- not yeah, vampires. Right, exactly. <laughs> but this is this is you know we say well the only way I can be comfortable with the idea that Adnan did it is because he's a sociopath right. or that he has amnesia. There's got to be that explanation. It can't just be that somebody snapped. Right, yeah. and and the funny thing is from earlier in the episode the uh, the disguised voice no name guy. You know, was pointing to Adnan's theft as evidence, and then he said, "You know, well, I did it too, but you know." But then, but then, where was he? Was he at the Best Buy? Do we ask him? <laughs> I don't know. But Ewing did then describe this in-between phase that we, where you were, what Laura, you were talking about how a normal person could become a killer. This like mm-hmm. long simmering anger, and then sort of playing with the idea in your mind of I want to kill that person. Oh no, I don't. And then sort of putting it to the test a little bit by creating a situation of conflict. Is that a lot of the cases that you looked at when you were working in, in defense? And is that, is, that, is that what you saw? Yeah. I mean, I think people you know, definitely do build up to something. And I think it's people that you don't expect. And 
things can just happen. And they say, you know, they look back, I, I didn't mean for that to happen. The situation just got out of hand. Mm-hmm. And that happens more than you would think. And if you look at the evidence in the case where Hay was strangled and the implication being that the killer didn't bring any tools, this was very likely a spur-of-the-moment thing, that's somebody who snapped. Mm-hmm. And that could be Adnan, that could be Jay, that could be anybody else. I think we should move on to like what I think is sort of the meatiest part of the episode, even though I think Ewing maybe took up more time than maybe we needed him to take up. That's the one area in which I agree with you guys who gave it a five. Um, so Adnan, he's in prison. He is obviously aware that all of this is going on. It gave me a tremendous amount of relief to hear Sarah, let's just get this out of the way, go through the explanation of why Adnan has not been sort of talking smack about the other people in the case. Was that, Toby, was that your reaction when you heard that explanation or did, did you care about that? Or uh, No, I think that was, and I, I'm talking to other people, I think that's been one of the big questions I've had is, you know, if if... I was in prison for 15 years because some guy was making up some story about me. I would be, you know, pretty sure I would tell Sarah about it. You know, I'm I'm not sure the explanation that by telling Sarah that, you know, Jay's lying about him would really be seen as, you know, influencing him or whatever because I mean that's I mean it's implied anyway. So she called it inmate 101. You obviously have never. Yes. You, you've interacted with a lot of inmates in your time, Laura. Is that inmate 101? That is. And I can tell you that was one of the most frustrating parts of working with defense attorneys and working with incarcerated clients is that most of them don't learn that lesson right off. And you say, please don't talk about your case. Don't talk about your case to anyone. And then they get on the recorded phone line in jail and talk about their case or call their witnesses and talk about what the witnesses are supposed to say. Um, So it is unusual that Adnan has actually, you know, if you were coming at it from the perspective of, you know, his defense attorney, he's following the attorney's advice. But that's unusual because most people have a hard time with that. He also has just adapted really well to to his his life now. And, um, you know, I think that I'm not really sure if it's just because he's smart, because he's nimble, because, you know, he... Maybe in some ways it actually occurred to me that life in prison is less restricted in some ways than than growing up in the community group, especially after hearing the way that everything impacts everything else in that community. I don't know. But um, did did you have any thoughts about that sort of his his comfort sort of in his situation right now? He seems really kind of comfortable. Yeah. Some people, I think it really depends on the person. Some people really do well with that structure. Um, But those are typically people, I think, that have some sort of mental illness or issue where on the outside they wouldn't be able to function as well. So it doesn't necessarily jive with me for Adnan based on his background. Uh, You know, good for him. Uh, But I guess you look at it more as survival. I mean, he's there. If he's going to have any sort of redeeming um, quality at this point, he's looking at it like, well, I have a good record. I'm known as a trustworthy inmate. You know, you get certain privileges within prison or jail based on how you behave. Mm -hmm. And if you're there for a long time, those privileges can mean a lot. Right, right. And he said, you know, in an earlier episode that he's kind of gotten used to the idea that he was a ward of his parents and then a ward of the state. Mm -hmm. That was his whole life. He's very charming. He, he, He finds that... You know, he's charming, so it, it helps him. Um, he's gone over this in a couple of other episodes. Wherever he goes, he kind of makes friends. He's able to kind of stay out of fights and trouble that way. And that, um, you know, he is sort of very comfortable in his own skin. I thought the letter that Sarah re- referred to 
was really telling because it was sort of the first time we, we dig into Adnan's sense of self-consciousness, perhaps, where he is a, really aware of the fact that whatever he's saying, he's being judged um, you know, he was. He used to be very cool about the idea, like, you know, why would you say that, uh, you know, I couldn't do it because I'm a nice guy? You know, why didn't you just say I couldn't do it because they have – here he is, he's, like, saying, for months and months we've been talking, and don't you know how hard it is for me to, like, want to say something nice about this, but you're going to think that, that I'm, I'm being insincere? That was sort of the only sort of, like, really interesting part of, of, of the story that was, wasn't was new, was very humanizing, and I think maybe – just kind of took too long to get to. It made us aware for the first time that Adnan was aware of the consequence of his relationship with Sarah Koenig. And I know that, Toby, you have, you know, you have concerns about the issue, the, the relationship between Sarah Koenig and Adnan. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, well, I think the thing that's uh, sort of bothered me throughout the whole thing is the relationship. And I think this is the case. I don't think it's really Sarah. Uh, I think she does. I think she's compassionate. I think she she tries to be fair. But when you have a situation where you have a guy who's spending his life in prison and you have a reporter who thinks it's an interesting story and is looking into the story, and you know, Adnan, why would he be cooperating with her? And I think it's pretty clear it's because he wants to get out of prison and he thinks this is one way that it could happen. That, that's not what Sarah, you know, that, that's not what she's after. She's after, you know, telling a good story, having a popular podcast. And I think if Adnan got out, like she would think that she would be happy about that and that would be a, a, a nice byproduct. So I, I think there's a, you know, there, there's a funny relationship there in that Adnan is, is very reliant upon her to be doing a certain thing that's not really her top priority. You know, I think this episode kind of points it out in some ways in that you have the whole episode seems to me to be about Adnan's personality and could he do it and what do people think about him and does that lead you to believe he could do it and you know what are psychopaths like and what are sociopaths like and can people just snap and then at the end you have this letter where Adnan's saying look you don't know me I've got this personality that I've totally kept tamped down because I don't want you focusing on that I want you focusing on the evidence mm-hmm. But in fact, you know, a lot of this series has been sort of a character study of Adnan. You know, there's some evidence here and there. You know, it, it seems to me that it's pretty ambiguous. But a lot of it comes down to, do you, do you like Adnan? Does he seem like a sympathetic character? Which is exactly, it seems, at least the way Adnan says it, is the opposite of what he wants. Right. And, you know, it, it, listening to you talk, it reminded, I, I interviewed a, a, an inmate for our first book, The um, and, you know, he had committed the crime, but he spent, he, he had to invite me there to talk to him. We talked probably for between 20 and 30 hours in prison in, in a series of visits. And uh, he was lovely and uh, really cooperative and would tell me really interesting stories. And then um, kind of at the near the end of, of, of our meetings, like really close to when we sort of stopped meeting, he suddenly stopped in the middle of our conversation and just said, please don't write this book. Please don't write this book. And I just said to him, I'm like, this is why you've been inviting me here is to, to is to sort of give me your take and to so we can really talk about what happened to you and what happened in your life. And he said, and I completely forgot about this until listening to this episode, he said, I just want people to think I'm a good guy. He's like, I just can't live with the fact that this is the only way people identify me now. And and I and I was really hoping that you would decide I was a good guy and decide not to write this book. And it just really, maybe that's why I think it's a nine and a half, because it just really felt to me like 
And I mean, he just, he doesn't want, I mean, being thought of as a killer is just hard, right? Yeah, no, I, I definitely, um, I can I can see that. And to go back to Toby's point, you know, I think, I was thinking about this, and it's kind of a sign of our culture now that we have such an interest, and people have such an interest in true crime stories and being the armchair detective. And all of these sort of um, tellings of stories, whether they be on like Investigation Discovery Channel or through a true crime book or an investigative journalism story, they're all sort of coming at it from the same perspective in terms of, in a way, we are exploiting these people for entertainment. But the question is, what's making serial different? Because people seem to be more upset about serial. And I think it's because there's such a following. I mean, there's so many people following this that it really has become entertainment. Right more so than just an examination of a case. What's really interesting, I mean, which is, I think, why we're here and we're talking about it is because the format of the story is very different. Now, I went through all the transcripts. I highlighted, copy-pasted so I could do a word count. And it was going into episode 11, uh, 65,000 words. So that's almost a whole book there. By the time we finish this off, you could have written an entire book, Sarah could have, just on her transcripts. So what's different about this, of course, is that in the name is serial. It's a serialized version of a story. What ends up happening is instead of it just being, you know, like a, a long story, there are things influencing it as it goes along because the wheel is still in spin and, she, and she's spinning it. I felt very much like this episode was a response to sort of the peanut gallery, what's going on and what things have been pushed around. If we had, if you or I had written a book about this case, it would have been done, printed, on the shelf, and then reaction would happen. And now there's reaction happening in the middle of it. And I think she acknowledges this, and this is kind of an experiment. Can we do this kind of storytelling in an, in an investigation? Usually the investigation's done, and you know now basically, like Sarah said in the Concord Monitor, it's like having somebody look at your notebook before you finish writing it. If I could just just indulge me for a second, you know, I am a redditor, so I am on that forum a lot. There was a great comment today that I think speaks to exactly what the three of you just said. Uh, username DC Vince. So people on Reddit sometimes have names that sometimes they, there's a lot of um, serial inspired names on Reddit. By the way, now that are pretty good. Like badass uncle is a redditor. Anyway, uh, this person wrote. After episode 11, it's clear this podcast was never about Adnan, Jay, Hay, or Sarah Koenig. It is about us. We are the protagonist. Serial is a clever, carefully crafted narrative that shows no matter how much we try to create order or rationalize behavior in society, it still won't make sense. Looking at this case in various angles or rationalizing people's thoughts is just our human nature to want order in this world. Uh, And then he goes on, bad things happen to good people. They just do, period. No reason, no explanation. Closure was never a certainty in life, and the story is no exception. Maybe. <laughs> I like the second part, the, the idea that it's about us. I mean, no, it is about Adnan. We, we've made it about us. Right. You know, that isn't Sarah thinks, hey, God, it's a mirror for all of us. I mean, I don't think, again, when they set out and they said this, well, do we have a, you know, a story, a tale that we can spread out over 12 episodes? I don't think they're thinking, yeah, this would be great because then all sorts of people would come in and start uh, crowdsourcing the investigation. I mean, it's, it's crazy. It is, it is crazy, but if you know public radio at all, you know it's always about you. It's never about the thing that they're actually telling you. You've never you listen to the Miss American Life. You know what that's all about. I mean, if anything, it's either the story's either about, you know, it's, it's either Adnan's story or it's Sarah's story. Mm-hmm. And I think that is going to determine, we'll see this next week, when she writes the conclusion, 
that's going to really tell us whose story it was. Yeah, I think this episode was was an attempt to try to get it back to Adnan. I haven't really thought this through. I'm just sort of speaking off the cuff. But it seemed to me that Sarah was less present in this episode than any other episode. You know, there's there's very little of I want here, I want there, I'm thinking this. It's really this is what these people think about Adnan. Here are some theories or, or some a framework with which Adnan might have been able to do it. That was all and she was, really was in the beginning was, I've been getting these rumors. That was, that was all you sort of heard of her character. Right, and then exactly. She, well, you're right. She, everything else just kind of was thrown on the table, and that was the episode. So I thought that was, you know, when, when I listened to it, I thought that was in some ways a reaction to people, like all this speculation and all this, like it's a, like it's a television show or it's some kind of fiction. And I think bringing it back to this is an actual person, He's complicated. We, we certainly haven't been able to, you know, even touch on the depths of like a, a real human being. But, you know, when he was a kid, he stole. People like him. People think he's a little, little, uh, you know, fishy. Let, let's not forget this is about real people. Right. This, this, this isn't true detective. Let's talk about the, the conclusion and, and what could be. I mean, there are a lot of loose ends, sort of dangling threads. There's even loose ends of audio. Uh, remember back to episode one, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. There is a This Season on Serial preview montage of voices at the end of that episode. Uh, maybe I'll just drop that into the podcast right here so people can remember that. Coming up this season on Serial. I think that there are other people involved. Like maybe, I think maybe he was set up. I think he was set up somehow. Clearly you could tell. Something was going on that wasn't good. I mean, it was just strange behavior for anybody. Basically threatened me. Like, you know what happened to hate. This is what's going to happen to you. That's how I felt that day. What are you thinking right now? You have the same smile I do. I'm literally thinking, like, could like could he have gone crazy? Jay told me he was being blackmailed by Adnan. Because Adnan knew that Jay couldn't go to the police. Like, if this works, and he... I mean, every question we've had for the past... Eight months. He knows it. Yeah, I mean, who else did it? You know, there's like running out of suspects. We still haven't heard some of those pieces of tape yet, and you know who knows if they've been dropped. And there are loose ends. I know, Laura, you've been frustrated by some of the loose ends. Yeah, I've been frustrated because I feel like I would have, I would have wanted to hear more about again Jay. I know I'm fixated on Jay and Stephanie, but what's the Innocence Project doing? And that was probably one of my favorite episodes. And I think something that had the most potential to sway what was going on with Adnan's case, and we haven't heard anything else about that. You know, if I'm thinking about this episode and kind of all of the episodes in order, this one, to me, if it was fiction, would be kind of like my black moment where all is lost, our protagonist doesn't know what's going to happen, but what is going to happen? I, I, I'm skeptical that they're going to be all, able to tie it all together in the last episode. This reminds me a lot, actually, of, um, if you, I don't know if you all watched True Detective, Kevin and I did, there was a very complicated plot that sort of implied a big conspiracy of people. And the second to last episode, you just sort of were thinking, oh, it's just this one. And you were really wondering about all those threads. And then you were left to decide after the final episode whether or not you cared. And I think that um, there I think there are two camps on this. There are people for whom, you know, an ending can be dissatisfying in some ways. But the journey was so great that overall it's and there are people who really need the satisfying ending. I'd be interested to know how we you know what you write fiction. What do you think about that? The true detective thing, it's interesting that you bring that up because um, I've been thinking about that, too, as something that had a whole lot of loose ends. And I don't know if it's it's hard for me to divorce sort of my fiction writing self from myself, but it seemed like that was a real 
a kind of a cop out at the end. There were so many weird things in True Detective that just pointed towards this sort of all encompassing conspiracy. And at the end, you know, it turns out to be this this maintenance guy and and that's about it you know but is that closer to true life i mean you've probably never laura in your investigating years like come across a a crime conspiracy behind the story of just maybe this one guy did it usually is just one guy right or or girl i don't want to be sexist well no sometimes there's more people involved that never actually um are held accountable but back to kind of tying this up i had two thoughts that came to me as toby was talking and looking at it you know if sarah was holding back information and two things that stood out to me is that letter it's 18 pages and all of that obviously was not revealed so if this was fiction it could be like a situation where the protagonist has the information in a book and you know they have the information you have hints at it but then at the end that information comes out in the conclusion so do you think that's what's going to happen well I don't know but that's one (laughs) or it could be my other thought primal fear with Richard Gere Mm-hmm. And the end, after the whole movie where this man is, uh, you know, in jail, he seems very sweet. He's kind of like this bumbling little stuttering. Is this the Edward Norton movie? Yes. yes. I've been trying to figure the name of this yeah. yes. the whole time. I had to look it up because then at the end, he's like, yeah, just kidding. There was no Roy or right. I'm yeah. Roy or whatever it was. And so I'm like, well, you know, I don't necessarily think that Adnan's going to do that, but that would be a satisfying ending. So there's the, how does serial end and sort of what happens in real life? Now, if in the last episode she's got a tape confession from jay that sort of seals it you know like for everybody hey that was very satisfying 12-part series it doesn't get adnan out of jail i mean you look at these um like documentaries like the west memphis three how much reasonable doubt did the media bring up and there was a you know the the public pressure to release these guys and it still took years even though it was very clear they didn't do it so so for everybody who wants to wake up next Friday and, like, run down to the courthouse and get Adnan out, they're going to be really disappointed. Right. So, But for us, as we look at, you know, this experiment and telling the story this way, can there be a satisfying ending? It's up to Sarah. She could probably do it. But the, the one thing that outside of Serial that I've read about this story is a condition called Need for Cognitive Closure, NFC. And it means that there are some people that need to have something wrapped up in a ball at the end. And then there's other people who are very comfortable with it being ambiguous. You know, and it's kind of like I said, there's the person who can look at the menu and quickly put it down and they know what they want. And there's a person who stares at the menu in the restaurant for an hour. Those are two different kinds of cognitive thinkers. And that for, for those people who want something black and white, maybe kind of like me, I want, you know, as a writer, I want there to be, boom, a good a good ending so we can say, Hey, that was wonderful. Nobody ever said that was a really delicious apple until I found half a worm in the last bite. Right. But there are great books or very good books with either bad endings or not so great endings that are still considered to be like solid books. I think every every Gillian Flynn book to me has a meh ending. But I think yeah. that they're solid books. And, you know, I think of Battlestar Galactica, my favorite television show of all time. Horrible final episode. Still my favorite television of all time. I mean, X-Files probably has a worse. <laughs> yeah. Or Lost. I mean, it's really yeah. great. I mean, great. It's a, it's a wonderful journey, but you still want a, a really great payoff. Yeah. Think of Breaking Bad. What made that was a super great ending. So too. it's called NCC? NFC. NFC. Need for Cognitive Closure. Yeah. Any, anybody here have suffer from that condition? I think I do, because I, I with Gone Girl, we were just talking about, you know, the book was great, and I it was wonderful, and I'm like, oh, the ending is going to be so great. And then I was like, really? That's it? 
Uh, but as writers, that's what we're trying to do, right? Know? We're trying to have a nice <laughs> payoff at the ending. It's hard when it's real life because we can't really tweak that. But we and you can write sort of a well. I wonder what would have happened. Talk about you know the state of human nature, but you know in some ways you have to try to make it as tightly written as you can. We have a different situation than Sarah Koenig, and I should point this out. The three true crime writers in this room, we know our publisher will not accept our story unless it has a satisfying ending. No one is going to take a story, taking the adjudicated part out of it, no one is going to accept a book where, you know, he kind of got away with it. You know, that's just, that's not what they, that's what the publishers want. What were you going to say, Toby Ball? I think it's better to have an ambiguous ending than a forced tying everything up ending. I mean, I think that's the really disappointing books is where you read something and there's this really compelling setup and these compelling characters and then at the end the way they tie things up just doesn't seem too neat yeah it doesn't really follow with what's come before it was all a dream yeah exactly Adnan's evil twin JR right exactly well it is by the way a public radio tradition to leave the end of a story with a question I don't know if any of you listened to Radio Lab last week's episode was about the Westgate mall attack in in Africa and it was a mystery that ended with a giant question and it what no one would argue that it was a great episode but it wasn't 12 episodes, and I think that's the difference between between a single-episode story with a question at the end and a long serial that you've been carrying along with for 12 weeks. Agree? Agreed. Yeah. Okay, well, quick question before we wrap up. Season two, we don't know what it's going to be about. We don't know if it's going to be a crime or a different kind of story. If it's not about a crime, would you listen to it? Yes or no? I, yeah, I would, I would definitely get in on it. I'd like to see where it goes. I think it's going to be a challenge. It's always a challenge when you have a great one season to like top yourself the second season right but uh i'm in i'll give it a chance give it a chance i think it'd be really hard to do another crime one quite honestly i you know but i'll I'll definitely listen i mean she can certainly tell a story all right well let's hope that uh she does tell a good story let's hope we want to come back and talk about it again um and i hope that you guys will join me next week as you are available to to talk about the finale of cereal, as we all sort of get ourselves prepared for that. Uh, true crime writer Laura Bricker, true crime writer Kevin Flynn, crime fiction writer Toby Ball, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. And for those of you who downloaded this podcast on iTunes, please take a couple minutes and leave a review. It would really help me out when deciding to make more of these podcasts or not. You can also search for the website I've made for this podcast. It's got my name in it. It's a little bit wonky. So just look in Google for Crime Writers on Serial, and it should come up there. If you've got feedback or ideas of what we can talk about between seasons of Serial, send me an email at reblavoie at gmail.com. That's R-E-B-L-A-V-O-I-E at gmail.com. Hope to be back next week after the finale of Serial for more Crime Writers on Serial. Thanks so much for listening. Everything's changing so fast these days, and that's a great thing. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load on our desktop computer. But now, there's the Xfinity 10G network. That means the fastest internet, with faster speeds rolling out every day, and internet that can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. So while one person streams a movie from their room, another can play video games in the basement, while another TikToks in the kitchen. It's the next-generation 10G network, only from Xfinity. The future starts now. 
Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed.